With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Tienes mucho en tus manos, pero con solo mover un dedo puedes dar marcha atrás con Pro Trailer Backup Assist disponible. Presentamos la nueva Ford F-150 2024. Ya sea que estés trabajando al máximo o divirtiéndote al máximo, esta camioneta te respalda porque está hecha para ser una parte indispensable de tu equipo. Fuerza así de inteligente solo puede ser F-150. Construida con orgullo Ford. Fuerza Ford. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. So this is my first podcast with three people at the same time. We've got Tucker Max, Dr. Jeff Miller, and Niels Parker, who are, they all have just come out with a book uh, that they've written together. Mate, uh, and guys, what's the subtitle? Become the man women want. Mate, become the man woman wants. And so let's get through. I've, I've read the book. It's great. I highly recommend it to everyone. But let's get through the basics. It almost seems inconceivable that you guys wrote this book. For one, Tucker, you're the guy who wrote the book, Assholes Finish First. Um, <laughs> Jeff, I could see you having written this, you know, having written The Mating Mind before this. And we've done a podcast before that. And then you could just describe how did this all come together with you three? So um, a couple of years ago, Tucker and I had been in touch by email and uh, thought it would be fun to get together when I was at a social psychology conference in that Austin. sounds like a lot. That sounds like what Tucker would say is a lot of fun. Is that really true? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was. I like. I'm one of those weirdos who will go to sort of obscure conferences and fields that I care about. Um, and and Jeff happened to be speaking, so it was like, oh, I love this book. I love his book. I've been reading his stuff, both books. I've been reading his stuff for years. Yeah. So we got together over a steak dinner and just talked about kind of the state of human sexuality research and evolutionary psychology and um, I expressed some frustration that evolutionary psychology in my field is not really getting out there and trickling down to the young people who could really benefit from it. And um, Tucker thought there must be some great books out there that really address the needs of young men or, or even young women about sort of how to think about dating and mating in a more science-based, actionable, informed way. And we looked around and we couldn't really find anything that was, that was really solid out there. So we ended up deciding to write it ourselves. But like Jeff, Jeff, let me ask you, your book, The Mating Mind, does it a little bit. Like you, you start to address the issue, but very from, an, uh, from a purely academic point of view. Did you sort of feel like, okay, let's take the mating mind, let's take Tucker's actual, let's call it experience in the field, and, and merge those two together and see what happens? There was, there was a little bit of that, certainly. I mean, the mating mind had certainly been read quite a bit in the, um, by some young men, particularly in the pickup artist community, but I was kind of appalled at how they misunderstood and, and misapplied it. 
So some of it was wanting to kind of correct some of the, the misunderstandings that had come out of the mating mind. But also, you know, I wrote the mating mind a long time ago, 98, 99, and the science has moved on. There's a lot more to say um, about the traits that are attractive to women and how to build them. So um, I also wanted to update that knowledge and, and make it as widely available as possible. And I thought Tucker would be a great um, colleague to, to kind of help me do that because he's got this, this style and tone and voice that's uh, very compelling to, to young male readers. And, and Tucker, this is like a, a big deal for you. Like you, you had written these books that, are, that kind of define this so-called uh, fratire genre, which is very different from this book, which is a very serious book, although I, your style is definitely like all, all through it. Like, how did you decide, okay, this is going to be the, the next type of book I work on? You know, honestly, James, it was one of those things where it was like, I've had guys asking me for years, for a decade, really, to help them with women, right? And, uh, and I think a lot of guys took the wrong lessons from my books. Like, I wrote my books, my books started as emails to my friends and about like the funny, ridiculous, embarrassing things I would do. And I assumed when I wrote the, the stories that everyone got sort of the subtext. And of course my friends did. And then I started publishing my books. And, and it, like at first I feel like uh, the, the small group of people who was reading it kind of got it. But then what happened was I got kind of popular. And then like a younger generation of guys came along who like they didn't really understand the subtext, I think, because they were 17, 18, 19 or 16 even. And they just saw me as like, oh, Tucker Max, he's a famous author. He's cool. And then they would read the book and they would think that they should imitate me. So I would have guys come up to me at book signings and be like, yo, man, I love your books. They're hilarious, but I don't understand. They don't work for me. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I get really drunk and I go out to bars and I scream curses at girls and none of them like me. And I would be like, what are you doing, dude? That's not how to get girls to like you. That sort of reminds me of like all the people who copy, let's say, Hunter S. Thompson. So Hunter S. Thompson was like legitimately this great writer, but everybody thinks if they just throw themselves in a situation and they take a lot of drugs, they could be like Hunter S. Thompson. Right, exactly. And, and, and so what I realized was that so many guys, it's not that the books taught guys the wrong things necessarily. The books are just true stories about dumb things that I did. Uh, it's that guys didn't understand. They didn't even have a basic foundational set of knowledge about life or about women or about social relationships that they could put my stories into context. And, and, and yes, I, I, I feel, and, and sorry that I, I keep interrupting. I'm an incessant interrupter, but, uh, in your books, I sort of feel there's, uh, an honesty to them where yes, you're, you're doing a lot of dumb things, but you clearly say there's, there's almost like two, there's one section that you say you're in Las Vegas. You're, there's two types of guys. There's the guys who just want to go out and have a fun time. And there's the guys who are going to go off and, you know, have prostitutes and whatever. And I think that that is a, a distinction that a lot of people miss in reading your books. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, listen, a lot of people, who've crit most of the people who criticize my books, uh, they, they haven't read them and it's just their way of status signaling. They're just saying they just have an ideology that they're trying to argue about and reinforce. And I'm just a boogeyman for them. I, I don't pay attention to them. I'm actually talking 
Jeff and, and Niels and I wrote this book not for them. I, no one cares about them. We wrote this book for young guys because I feel like our culture and our society has, for the most part, failed young men. It has not taught them the skills they need to understand uh, not taught them what they need to what they need to understand the skills they need in order to be effective with women, and I'm, not, I'm talking about any sort of effectiveness, not just one night stands, not just marriage, everything in between. Like we we don't teach young guys how to properly relate to women and how to be attractive to women so that they can have the relationships they want, and that's that's catastrophic and it's terrible, and you're seeing all the negative impacts all over the place. And it seems like no one's doing anything about it. And, and so Jeff and I realized we were in a position to do something about this, to write the book that we wished had existed when we were 16 or 18. Because uh, we eventually figured this out. But it was a lot of pain and sacrifice and sorrow and embarrassing mistakes. And so if we could make it easier for other guys to learn this stuff and to have great relationships with women, then we're, that's, we know we can make the world a better place by writing that book. No, I um I agree. I think this is, this is the book I wish I had at 16 and somehow I've defied a lot of the suggestions in this book to come out on the other side, but that's but for, fortunately I have some of the things going for me. But I was also curious, Niels, given the process of Jeff writing and Tucker writing and integrating both of their voices because there there really is one singular voice throughout the whole book. Uh, how, what was before we get into the details of the book? I'm just curious about the writing process. Like, how did you put this together? So essentially, what happened was Jeff would take a hack at the first drafts of the more science-heavy chapters, and then Tucker would go behind that and sort of add his add his voice and his flair. And then the process would be reversed on the chapters that were a little more. Uh, more practical, like meeting women, talking to women, uh, having sex, confidence, those chapters. And then what I would do is I would follow behind them and I would sort of de-Jeff and de-Tucker them a little bit, you know, take out the little idiosyncrasies that define their voices individually and maybe some of the bad habits that each of them had um, in terms of first draft writing. And then I'd smooth them out and unify the language with an eye toward connecting with with young guys um, in a way that that was best for conveying information. Of course, this is a serious book, but also it's a book that's meant to connect with young guys. You know, it's not a book that's meant to to look fancy uh, in your apartment on the Upper East Side during your cocktail party. This is a book that guys are supposed to read and internalize the lessons and then use in their lives. You know, when I when I first started getting into the book, it looked like more, I mean, yes, it was a great book for, let's say, 18-year-olds or 20-year-olds or even 40-year-olds to um, meet women, but it also looked like good in the context of a general personal improvement book. Like, here are some chapter titles, uh, Get in Shape, Get Happy, Smarten Up, Get Your Life Together, you know, Tender Defender, which is a little bit about, you know, being both assertive and, and kind. Um, these are good general self-help principles anyway. And you even give, you know, you give diet tips, you give workout tips, you give tips about sleeping. So you, you see these in many personal improvement books. Yeah. So uh, Jeff, or, well, not Jeff, but uh, James, I'll give you like the sort of secret about this book 
is that quite in a very literal sense, this is a self-improvement book that's marketed as uh, sort of a, a sex and dating book. And, and, but the two things are not different, right? So what we explain in this book is that uh, most guys who come to us, we, you know, we have a podcast that is not quite as big as yours, but it's pretty big. And we've had millions and millions of downloads and, and, uh, and we get a lot, we have a big audience and we get guys that call in every week and leave us questions, sort of like your Ask All Tutor uh, podcast. And what we realized really, really quickly is that I would say realistically about 75, somewhere between 50 and 75% of the problems that guys have with women are not actually problems with women. They're things that guys are doing wrong, like fundamentally wrong, like they're not clean, like they're, they have awful clothes on, like they, they, they're saying really stupid things to women. They're relating to them in a way that's immediately unattractive. And so like if you, if you, need, if you want to be successful with women, you've got to start by being attractive. And so much of being attractive essentially boils down to self-improvement. Well, it's funny because I sort of feel like when I'm reading this book and then you read a book, let's say, in the, in the pickup scene, it seems like guys look for shortcuts all the time in, in every aspect of life, you know, like whether it's get rich quick or pick up quick or lose 50 pounds quick or whatever. So it seems like the pickup the artist scene is about, OK, what lines can I use to be this Svengali-like hypnotist over women as opposed to losing an extra 50 pounds so I look in shape? Well, yeah, I mean, that's what the pickup artist, uh, the pickup artist philosophy is essentially that women are objects and we are trying to find a way to manipulate them into what we want. And we don't ever look at ourselves or examine ourselves and we don't ever think about our relationship to other humans. It's essentially a philosophy of sociopathology and autism is what it is. And it is toxic and dysfunctional. Well, why do you think it's, that it's happens? Because it's so unobvious, actually, like. I know men are afraid of rejection and you point that out early on, but like, why do you think men don't think it's good to, to groom or, or look good, for instance? No, oh, so hold on. These are two different things. So uh, like, it's not that men don't think it's good. It's that men don't even realize these things matter. You know, I think like we, we, we have this series in, on our podcast called Helping Joe and uh, Joe is, Joe is not that messed up relative to other guys. He's a pretty average guy. But I cannot tell you how many basic fundamental things he had no idea about. Like what? Like, like what, are the, what are the three or four top things guys usually miss? What are some of the big ones, Niels and Jeff? What do you guys um, think? Personal hygiene, um, what clothes to wear, what to eat. Taking, taking what a woman's of, perspective just yeah. a little bit. Yeah, that's yeah. actually the biggest one, I would think is that most guys, especially young guys, uh, this is going to sound a little bit harsh, but it's true. Most young guys don't realize that women are people with their own like goals and agendas and perspectives. And, and I, I don't mean that like, like they're, they're animals and they're terrible misogynists. It's just most guys have never actually stopped to think, what does the woman want? Uh, what is she looking for? What things would she find attractive? Like they don't, they never stop, you know, what concerns does she have? What is she afraid of? Uh, what is she looking for? They never stop to even think about that at all. Like not even a little bit. And I can't tell you how many guys will send us email and be like, dude, I, like your, your podcast about the woman's perspective changed my life. 
that night I went out and instead of just talking about myself and this and that, I actually listened and to, to women and I was like, oh, wow. And I had real conversations and oh my God, I've hooked up with four girls this, uh, the last two weeks and they're awesome and blah, blah, blah. I mean, basic things like that. Like guys don't even think about women as separate entities with different minds and different sort of needs that they have to account for. You can look to the pickup artist community and even sort of modern feminism with respect to how sex is articulated if you're looking for a reason why there's this disconnect with young guys. Like sex is something to extract from a woman. It's, it's something you do to a woman. It's not this idea of two people coming together to do something that they both want to do. And you, when that happens over time, you end up with a mindset like, like Joe had or these, these guys who flee toward pickup artist uh, tactics. Well, that's a huge – that's another huge one, James. So a big one is the woman's perspective. The other big one is that relationships are not a battle. Like they're about getting what you want. They're about both – instead of, instead of a, a, a contest, it's a, a, like a coalition, right? So like most guys – in fact, that's the narrative in our culture is that uh, dating and sex is a battle of the sexes. It's men versus women. That's totally fucking wrong. Any, any relationship should be mutually beneficial. And so like, like the default thinking is zero sum. How do I win this relationship? How do I get what I want from her? How do I trick her? Whereas what we tell guys is you want to create win-win relationships. So if you just want to sleep with a girl and nothing else, that's fine. There are a lot of girls who just want you to fuck them and nothing else. Go find that girl and then you both win. Or if you want to have a girlfriend and a meaningful relationship, that's fine too. Lots of women want that. Go find that girl and have that relationship. You see? Yeah. And you know, it, remi- it made me think when I was reading the book, it almost reminded me of books I read on marketing because, you know, marketing also is about win-win for the seller and, and the customer. But you kind of have – but each side sort of has to identify or at least the seller has to identify what is the urgent problem of the buyer. And it, it sort of made me think the urgent problem of the buyer in your book for, for these young men, the urgent buyer are – whether they realize it or not – and Jeff, maybe you can correct me on this – whether they realize it or not, the urgent problem for a young woman is that – she needs to find somebody who is healthy enough to have good babies and then committed enough to be a long-term carer and defender of those babies, whether or not she even wants babies. Yeah, explain that, Jeff. Like that, A lot of people listen to that and they don't get it if they don't know of psych. So explain that, I think, to, so the audience can get that. So the, the, you know, the key idea there is that women's preferences for men and for male traits have been shaped by literally millions of years of selection so that women instinctively pay attention to any of the cues or traits or behaviors that, that say this guy's got good genes. If I bred with him, we'd literally have better babies. So women are instinctively tuned into those kind of cues of genetic quality. And then is he going to make a good partner? Can we cooperate? Can we communicate, resolve conflicts, um, coordinate our actions so that there's you know, an effective division of labor, stuff like that? And then thirdly, is this guy potentially going to make a good dad raising kids together with me? And those instinctive preferences operate all the time even when women are out on Tinder just looking for one night stand or a hookup. It still matters. It still informs how women see men. 
through these lenses, good genes, good partner, good dad. But, but Jeff, and, let me ask you about that because and, – and this is actually related I think to an email conversation you and I once had in that humans as opposed to many other species, we've also evolved our brains to adapt very quickly to new environments. And so how quickly um, will men and women adapt to the fact that we are now in an environment where women don't necessarily have to um, – care so much on a first date about, you know, long-term parenting skills? I think there's, there's, at the level of sexual preferences, there's remarkably little adaptation to cultural change. For example, we've had the pill, effective contraception for 50 years. It changed female behavior a little bit. It nudged it a little bit in the direction of short-term mating being safer. But Heterosexual women do not act like modern gay men in terms of their promiscuity levels. And that's what you would have expected if women had fully adopted in, and internalized you know, the, the freedom that contraception gives them. They would be out acting way more promiscuous and they simply aren't. They're still running the same um, brain systems, the same mate preferences – that are basically pretty cautious and risk averse and that want guys um, typically who, who at least have the potential to be good boyfriends. Um, so I don't see nearly as much cultural flexibility as, as some people see. That, that was a good uh, – I, I never thought of it, the difference between let's say gay uh, sexual behavior and male-female sexual behavior. But you're right. There's definitely a difference. Yeah, and then if you look at – you know, the way lesbian women act in their relationships, that's sort of what women tend to negotiate in terms of win-win, which is typically long courtship, um, a lot of intimacy, a lot of talk, and sometimes not that much sex. So, you know, gay and lesbian behavior can be a really interesting kind of compare and contrast to uh, heterosexual behavior and can help illuminate modern mating dy dynamics pretty pretty clearly. So, so – Again, it, where it seemed again a little bit like uh, almost like I was reading a marketing book is it's, it reminded me of my podcast with Kevin Harrington, uh, who's like the inventor of the infomercial, where he was talking about how if you're trying to sell me something, I need to see a lot of social proof, science proof, and so on. And you t you guys talk a lot about social proof in this, like show the the um, show women that you have friends, even better, show them that you have female friends, and and so on. So. You know, maybe, you know, and then there's not only social proof, you want to signal also like aesthetic proof. There's all these kind of uh, things you need to signal, not overtly, but kind of on the side. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the whole thing in the, the book is that we try and explain to guys um, what women want, how to be attractive to women. And we explain it in a way that makes sense. You know, like uh, a lot of women know. If you, you can ask women what they want and sometimes like they, they know what they – an individual woman knows what she finds an attractive in a man, of course. But if you ask a woman, well, how do, I, how do I get women to like me in general? A lot of times the answers you get don't make sense. So what we try – at least to guys. They don't, they don't connect with young guys especially. So we try to create a book where a young guy can read this and say, oh – I see women want this and this and this, and here's exactly why they want it. And even if I don't necessarily like it, I at least understand there's a logic behind this. 
and that like this is a result of evolution and this is a result of you know evolved preferences and this is a result of whatever and so i'm i'm going to adapt to that and i'm going to you know either or choose not to but at least they understand the playing field they understand what the game is and what the stakes are as opposed to like just trying to put it together from movies and shit you know and so so tucker for you it almost seems like you personally in your 20s did not quite follow the advice in in the book in the sense that <laughs> you know you basically at least in the books you, you met girls mostly in bars but you know in the book you give an example maybe you should uh, volunteer at a trash site and that gives you time to get to know no, a woman no, no, and no not a trash site at like a dog oh i you know doing community service yeah. Right. No, you don't go to a dumpster. Just <laughs> you, you specifically had a trash site in there, and I, I'm just curious if no, any. No, of you it was got not it. a trash site. I think the example was picking up trash in a park as part of a community service group, not hanging out at dumpsters and county dumps looking. Go for to your nearest Superfund site. Right. Exactly. No, come on, James. Well, well, <laughs> when did when did either of you guys actually meet a girl in a in a charity uh, event? Are you kidding? I, I like I've I I slept with so many girls from this one no kill shelter that I used to volunteer at that like the person running it was like dude you gotta like relax like you're it wasn't like a bad thing but they're just like this is getting ridiculous like you have to actually work with dogs you can't just sleep with all the girls. That's funny. You know the the, the phrase that, that I enjoy the most in the book. Um, you said that what women really want to hear, and I forget now what they don't want to hear, but you said the phrase that they really want to hear is, don't worry, I've got it. And so since I read that, which is just a few days ago, I've been trying that uh, with my wife repeatedly, like whenever there's a problem, don't worry, I've got it. And it's amazing, actually. She just relaxes instantly, and I see the results. Like it's a great yeah. phrase to use. So, so what's, what's behind that one? All right, so so here's what we, we – if you wanted to boil down all of our advice about what women find attractive in men, it would essentially all boil down to women want men who are effective, effective at life specifically, right? And so that's why like – that's why women care about the clothes you wear. It's not because they're shallow. It's because it tells women uh, something about you. Like are you smart enough – and are you uh, socially conscious enough to understand what's appropriate in a certain situation, right? And that's why women care about small talk because they, it's a signal about your intelligence, your social ability. Can you make small talk with me or a stranger, right? And so – but all of this is a signal of effectiveness because – uh, Dr. Miller can probably explain this better than I can, but the basic idea is women are looking for men with good genes and you can't fake or it's very hard to fake effectiveness, right? And effectiveness is a good signal for healthy genes, right? Is that correct, Dr. Miller? Is that a good summary? Yeah. I mean life, life effectiveness is basically evolutionary biological fitness, right? And that's what yeah. women want is, is heritable fitness. But, but, yep. but Dr. Miller, let me ask you about this in the context of the mating mind also. So aesthetic proof is not just showing effectiveness. It also shows you've moved beyond worrying about survival. So it's not just survival of the fittest. It moves you into the category of, I guess, what you called sexual selection, which is that you're so far beyond surviving, you can now think about aesthetics. Yeah, I mean, effectiveness is 
biological effectiveness is not restricted to just barely squeaking by and barely getting enough food to eat and barely escaping predators. It's also about flourishing in a social group, you know, in a social species, making friends, being socially effective, being effective as a lover and a parent and, and a relative and all of that. And aesthetic proof where you're demonstrating things like artistic or musical skills or you're great at storytelling or um, you have really good taste in ornamentation and clothing, um, that all kind of shows you've got, you've got skills to burn. You've got um, a plenitude, you know, an excess of success that can go in those, those directions above and beyond any survival needs you might have. I like how, though, in the book, you guys bring it right down to, okay, here's what color shirts you should buy. Here's what color shoes you should buy. And you get down to specifics. Oh, of course, because most guys, quite honestly, are are stupid. And if you leave any room for interpretation, uh, a lot of guys will screw it up. So we tried to be as, as granular and as actionable as possible. So it wasn't just like go join social groups to meet women. It was here are 20 social groups that in our experience, we found lots of women do, you know? And, and obviously, listen, if you're smart, then you can take that, you can take those 20 groups as a starting point and probably find 20 more. But if you're not smart and you're not creative, at the very least, we have very good starting points for you. You know, and I want to get into um, this, the actual specifics that you recommend and maybe... I'm going to ask you questions as if I was like a 21-year-old trying to, to meet people. But before that, one, one thing I really liked, which, which I've kind of echoed in my own writing, is that I sort of agree with you on – you mentioned how experience – using money to buy experiences is much more important than using money to buy goods. And while I've looked at that, on that as a personal improvement perspective, I like how you – I, I didn't think of that in terms of like men meeting women. And I think that's very valuable. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, uh, Dr. Miller, you, you wrote this section. Well, money, money just, you know, can amplify and accelerate how fast you can learn stuff and how fast you can, you can build and improve skills and amass experiences that are worth talking about later. So it's not like you necessarily need money to do a lot of the stuff that we recommend in the book like getting in shape or learning stuff, but it can help. Um, the irony is a lot of guys who have quite a bit of money, even early in life, just don't invest it back in themselves. They invest it in the market or they blow it on conspicuous consumption, but they end up at age 35 being not significantly better as people than they were at age 25. Which means uh, they don't do better with women. Like You're right. talking about like a good example is how many – uh, uh, James, I know you know a ton of these guys, rich finance Wall Street guys who work 100 hours a week and then the weekend comes and they've got two hours to go meet women. So they blow all their money on Coke and bottle service and renting a Ferrari or whatever because they think, all right, that will get women to like me. But they generally don't do very well unless they're literally buying women, like they're getting hookers or they're like finding the type of gold digger that like is like, oh yeah, buy me bottles and rent me an apartment and you can shoot a load in me. Well, well you know? it, it's funny because not only are many of those guys not really you know, doing well, but many of the bottle service girls who I also know don't like those guys. Of course they don't. They're there for money. Cause, <laughs> and, and those girls are beautiful. They're going to meet the right guy at the right time anyway and they know that. So yeah. – they don't need to go out with a guy who's just throwing money at them. 
No, they'll be nice to him because he's throwing money at them. That's that's how it works. And then, which is why, like, it's so funny. Uh, so many guys seem to think money has something to do with it. And I'll tell you, money can help. There's no doubt about that. But uh, when I was dirt poor, dirt poor, like I could not afford to buy protein, I was getting girls four, five, six nights a week, no problem, because I, was, I had things that actually mattered. Uh, I was funny. I was outgoing. Uh, tons of social proof, prestige. I was attractive in the ways that mattered, not in the ways that didn't matter. Like that's one of the things Dr. Miller talks about in the book is that women are evolved to, to, to like certain things. Women aren't evolved to like a bank balance. They're evolved to like things that a bank balance can get them if it's used correctly. Well, it's interesting because you, you point this out in the book that we've been around in some form or other for let's say two million years, but money has only been around for a couple thousand years so, of course, money itself is – we're not adapted to really appreciate a number as opposed to kind of the other things that money signals. Right, exactly. So the question is not do you have money. It's how do you use your money. And if you use your money to improve yourself and to become effective and to become intelligent and to display all these great traits and we list them all in the book, then you're going to do great. And if you don't, you're not going to do well. It, it reminds me actually um, when I was interviewing uh, Mark Cuban, he was telling me after the sale of his first company, he made about $10 million on, on his very first software company in the early 90s. And he bought, he bought, I guess, something that's not available now but like a free pass on American Airlines so he could just get on any plane anywhere and fly wherever he wants. And so he, he basically used his money to travel around the world and buy experiences. And he said, I had a lot of fun during that period. So he kind of followed your, your advice before starting um, his next big company. Yeah. So, so, but you know, I wanted to, to get to some of the, the, the brass tactics here, if, if you will. So uh, let's say I'm 21 years old. I have no money. Um, you know, I was a grubby looking kid or whatever. Uh, what should I do? How do, how do I develop small talk? And also I was incredibly shy. I would never be able to walk up to a, a, a woman. What should I do? What are the skills I should learn? Well, so hold on. The way we describe it in the book, there's a lot of different things. So make no mistake about it. We, we try and make it so that each thing, each level of sort of attractiveness, there's things you can do tonight to get better this week and then this year. Right. And so like, like getting in shape, for example, if, if you need to lose 60 pounds, that's going to take you six months or a year. Right. But there's things you can start doing this week to, to get better. So, uh, someone knowing you, James, the first thing I would have you do is, um, first off, I would, uh, basic grooming. Like I would send you to John Allen and be like, get a haircut, right? Uh, like get a shave. Just basic sort of like normal grooming things. Uh, if you don't know what to do, that's fine. It's all women at John Allen. Just give them money and say, make me look better than I look now. Make me look attractive to you. And they'll, they'll, they'll love it. They'll be fantastic. And, and you'll come out great. Then I would go to a, a decent clothing store. And don't go crazy. Just buy like a nice white button-down shirt or whatever. Just anything basic, simple uh, like that. So those two things is where I would start. Then I would have you go to like figure out what are like the 20 things you love doing and then go join social groups of those things. So you like chess? Okay, fine. 
Go find a chess club that has some women in it if you can. I don't know if they exist. They, they, they don't uh, exist. Right. <laughs> right. That's and the one. That, that, other hurt, things. that hurt me all through my life, basically. That there's no women in chess? Zero. I mean, yeah. actually, the, there is one who I always had a crush on, but uh, she was never in any club that I was in. Well, you're joining the wrong clubs, James. <laughs> no, but there's there's 20 other things that you like. Like, I mean, if uh, go yeah, you, find you those recommend dancing and, classes, and, which is a great idea. Dancing is fantastic for a lot of guys. For you, actually, you know what I might, especially uh, uh, you, I would teach things. You know so much stuff. You do this already. You're a great teacher, and you're you're a great learner, and then you're a great teacher of that learning. So you should put yourself in a position where you are teaching things to groups of people, not just women, men and women. Why do you want to do that? For two reasons. One, it puts you in a power position, which is always more attractive. And, and two, it makes you prestigious. Like so many young guys think that, 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 that they need to be an alpha male to get women, that they need to be high status. And the idea of an alpha male, first off, is ridiculous for humans. Like that just doesn't make sense when we explain in the book. But always – there's a lot of empir- empirical data about this. Prestigious guys always do better than the iconic sort of stereotypical alpha male. Because the stereotypical alpha male is usually boils down to an uh, insecure bully, which can work in short-term t- uh, situations with cer- in certain social situations. That can absolutely work. But in a long-term setting, in a social group, uh, narcissists and bullies and alphas always get ostracized. And men who contribute to the group and lead in a prestigious way are the ones that the women always want. So you could easily be very prestigious in lots of groups um, where you have knowledge and you're teaching it to people. I would really work with you to find those groups and put you in them. And what about, what about the ability to develop small talk? Like let's say I'm at a, a party and I want to meet women and there's plenty of women around. How would you recommend someone go about learning, it seems to me, a difficult skill, small talk? Yeah, so here's the thing with small talk. Uh, guys look at it. A man's deepest fear, we explain this in the book, a woman's deepest fear is that a man is going to assault or rape or kill her. And a man's deepest fear is a woman is going to sexually humiliate him, right? And so the most fear of small talk is some manifestation of that fear for men. And and the problem also is this cultural trope that a man's like, oh, I'm going to go up and say something to her and then we'll start having sex, which is fucking ridiculous. That doesn't ever happen. And so you need to totally reframe small talk. Right. And there's a couple of things. uh, There's two mental reframes we talk about in the book that are very important for guys. You need to go out with two goals in your mind and two goals only. I am going to have as much fun as possible with my friends and I am going to meet new people and learn things about them. And that's it. That's your only goal. And if you do that, then every place you go, whether it's a bar or a social club where you know people or a party, you're going to be the guy with friends having fun meeting people and, and asking them questions, which is automatically going to make you prestigious and popular. And I, that relates back to your earlier books, really, because that's what I get from your earlier books is what you did. Like yep, when, That's when, exactly what I did. When you go to a bar with the um, – what do you call it? The blood alcohol tester. It was, yep. I don't even think you met a woman in that. They all blew you off in that chapter. Yep. Um, yeah, they did. Well, they talked to me. They just blew me off because I was an asshole. But they, the, the blood alcohol thing got them interested in me and talking. I just failed to convert. Right. But you went out there with the idea, okay, here's this cool, quirky thing and I'm going to have a fun time with it. 
Right, exactly. So here's the other thing with small talk. First, so those are the two mental frames that you need to sort of put on yourself. And then the small talk, um, there, there's two – we have a whole section, a long section about small talk. But the two quick takeaways for your readers or your listeners, uh, the first thing you want to do is you want to find a commonality, right? And so like if you can. So if you guys are both at a friend's party, hey, how do you know friend X? And then you're already talking, right? That's small talk. And then just keep going from there. If you can't find – and always there's some basic commonalities, weather, city you live in, politics you can uh, – or current events. I mean things you can always bring up if you want. Then the other thing to do is ask questions. Everyone wants to talk about themselves. Everyone wants to, to talk to someone who's interested in listening. If you ask questions, if you think of it almost like a detective game, like this is what I do with people. Because uh, quite honestly, I think most people are really fucking boring and tedious and useless. But I have, a, I have no problem at all connecting with people I meet and getting them to like me because I play what's called the detective game. And I think to myself, okay, every new person I meet, I'm going to find something interesting about them, right? So then I'm in, even if they're boring as a turd, I still am interested because I'm like, all right, I've got to, I've got to find the interesting thing about this boring turd. And that's a fun game for me. And so then, like, that creates at least 20 or 30 minutes of conversation, which is more than enough. What would you ask, like, in your kind of the beginnings of the detective quest? Well, I mean, there's, there's not a script. Obviously, it totally depends on the person. If we're, you know, if, I'm going to ask questions until I find something about them that I think is interesting. And then I'm going to dive deep. And the key to questions is open-ended. Why do you think that? Why did you do that? How did that work? How did that make you feel? Um, blah, things like that. Not, not do you like it? Anything they can answer yes, no to is a bad uh, uh, sort of um, small talk question. Anything that's open-ended, that's where you get really good answers. And then you just have to listen to what they say. And every now and then you're going to hear something like, you know, oh, that's when my grandmother, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, wait a minute, hold on. Your grandmother did what? And then you keep talking. You realize, oh, wow, this is Amelia Earhart's, uh, you know, great granddaughter or something or, or great grandniece, whatever. And then, like, you go, like, from there. You know, it's funny. Um, Sergey Brin was once talking about how he hires people. And he said that within the first 60 seconds, he knows whether a person is not going to be a hire. But he doesn't want to waste the time. So he says, I'm going to try to learn at least one new thing about this person. So a similar technique uh, is Sergey Brin's hiring technique. That's, that's so, exactly right. I, I, I wanna, a lot of people meet people on online dating. Like that's how I met my wife, for instance. How do you, you – you basically describe how people do their online photos and their online profiles and, and messaging. And you, you basically say people do it all wrong and you give some suggestions. But what should people do for their, their profiles? How do they stand out in the profiles? I, th I think a key thing is for you know, the readers of the Mate book to go through all the specific traits and proofs that we talk about and make sure that those are there in the profile. Like how would I and demonstrate kindness? Like, okay, maybe I worked in the Peace Corps or I worked in some charity, for instance – yeah, whatever it is, or or I'm a vegan, or I care about animals, or I own these pets, or you know, whatever, anything that's a kind of hard to fake indicator that I really am kind, rather than just saying I'm kind. And, and um, so, so like and, for smarten up, it might be 
I don't know, your degrees or your favorite books or whatever? Yeah, it would it would typically be more like uh, saying these are my interests in terms of books and movies and TV shows and foreign travel and all of that rather than bragging about your, your degree or, God forbid, your SAT score. Um, because people are so good at reading – you know, intelligence or mental health or personality traits out of profiles, even without realizing that they're doing it. So as long as you're systematic in sort of how you construct your profile and you make sure that you you hit all these notes that people care about, you'll end up being better than 90% of the profiles that are out there. Now, now you guys do suggest in the profile, be honest about your shortcomings. Like what's an example of that? Because that seems scary to me. Like you can't hide that you're short. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, it, we're not saying um, um, we're not saying like you need to uh, like list like they don't need to write your essays, James, where you list all the terrible things you've ever done <laughs> in graphic detail. That's that's great for you because like your readers know you and that's why they love you. But they don't know like you know, someone comes across like uh, if you put your essays in an online dating profile and they had no idea who they who you were, they'd be like, "What the hell's wrong with this guy?" Like that seems super unusual. Whereas if you said something like, "Listen, I'm I'm a little bit insecure sometimes. I'm a little bit anxious sometimes. Uh, I'm not going to pretend like I'm not." Blah, blah, blah. Like something like that where you're acknowledging that you have flaws shows a lot of self-awareness and a lot of uh, sort of in- social intelligence, which are really good traits. Well, it's interesting because it's related to what you guys say about jealousy, where a little bit of jealousy is a good, is a good thing to signal because it might be, show that you're interested in having a longer term committed sexual partner. But, it could all, but also there's a line where you don't want to be psychotic about it. Right, obviously, if you're peeking in her window and breaking shit, then you're a terrible person. But if you're like, you know, a little bit perceptive about what's going on, that's that can be attractive for someone. Yeah, I mean, one of the common denominators here is women just want to know: Do your emotions work adaptively and and right, and are they properly calibrated to life situations that you encounter? And even something like small talk is a great way to demonstrate that, yeah, you, you've got an emotional brain that, that operates reliably, consistently, adaptively. Yeah, so many guys ask about small talk, honestly, like why it matters. It is small talk, 30 seconds to two minutes of conversation, and most people can accurately predict 80 to 90% of your, uh, your entire panoply of traits. Like it is a piece of information and it is highly predictive and highly accurate, and uh, if you don't take it seriously, it means either you're stupid or you are put, crippling yourself in dating. And it, and it seems like from what you're saying before, the key is uh, being curious and trying to learn from her as opposed to bragging about yourself. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's the best way for most guys to go about it. Yes, absolutely. If you don't know what to do, start there. Mm. So, so a lot of these things – like you say, like you said before, can't be developed overnight. Like really, to follow your book, this is a a practice as opposed to uh, you know this weekend I'm going to pick up four girls. Although who knows, maybe some of these techniques would work that way. But it does seem like they they would. Some of them would. If that's if that's your goal, that's absolutely valid, and and they would absolutely work. Right. Like like it, some of these things. Like let's say I'm not a particularly kind person, but would like to be. Like some of these things require like work or therapy. Well, yeah, of course, dude. 
One book doesn't solve every problem on earth, man. The point of this book is to lay the field out clearly and concisely for guys and explain all the foundational fundamentals of the field. You can almost think of it like your physics textbook, like your intro to physics textbook. Like that book is not going to take you all the way through large hadron collider uh, quantum physics, but it will lay the entire foundation so you can get to that point if you want it. This book is foundational uh, for, for most people. You know, uh, I have a question about one thing, and this gets into the maybe too much into the details, but you, at one point you say the opposites don't attract, which I mostly agree with. But on another point, you say essentially groups, you know, mating between different groups reduces the chance of, you know, adverse mutations or however you describe it. So that's, you know, possible or, or a, a good way to approach things. So can you explain the, it seems like there's a little bit of a contradiction there or maybe I'm missing something. So yeah, at the level of traits like intelligence or kindness or openness, people tend to, to do what's, what's called a sort of mating where like mates with like. So you want somebody who scores about the same as you on those traits. But then at the level of, you know, should I mate with my sibling should I mate with my cousin or should I go a little further afield genetically into another group or maybe a slightly different ethnic group? That's where you get the benefits of, uh, of outbreeding and diversity. So typically what happens is um, even if somebody's dating somebody of a different race, uh, they'll still look for a match in terms of, say, intelligence or um, extroversion or all those other traits. So I don't really see a contradiction. It's just you know, opposites attracting um, at a different level, at that kind of genetic outbreeding level. You know, I like also how you guys talk about what you call romantic proof. Um, when I was dating, my, my older sister gave me this advice. Uh, she said, guys tend to say I love you like almost immediately and, and girls uh, don't say it until like six months, but by then guys are not saying it anymore. And, it, and you mentioned this a little briefly in Romantic Proof, that if you escalate too quickly, the girl's going to back away. Right, because it shows you're desperate. And, like, there's nothing more unattractive than desperation to a woman. That's probably why I, I bombed so many times when I was younger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we've, well, all, we've all been there, though, James. It happens to all of us. Well, what are some other specific, specific things I can look out for? In what field? Or, or, or a, a young man can look out for, I should say. Well, one thing is guys create this firewall between their dating life and their male friendships, which is really stupid. They, they tend to separate their social network of like friends they, they like from women they want to have sex with. And that tends to negate their social proof. It means they don't use their friends to kind of reach out and meet friends of friends. Um, it creates a lot of inauthenticity and it makes women really suspicious of them. And so again and again in the book, we emphasize you've got to use – you've got to make your dating life an extension of your, your natural social life. And if you're not doing that, then you're probably approaching women with the wrong mindset and it's going to creep them out. You know, it was interesting also – like your, your book is all about – kind of signaling and signaling in these ways that are not overt. And it was interesting how you talked about getting in shape, that it's not about necessarily 
having like these enormous muscles, but just being in shape, for instance. And so whereas I think a common misconception is that you have to be like totally, you know, shredded with muscles to be the most attractive person. No, 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 that's not. In fact, the large muscular guys who are in incredible shape unless you're an athlete or something like that, are usually not very attractive to women because it's a very strong signal of narcissism. Uh, so like it's, we, we talk about this very specifically in the book. Uh, the men that are most physically are most attractive to women tend to have like swimmer type bodies or CrossFit type bodies, just generally fit bodies, not bodybuilders, not, um, not like excessively ripped guys, not, um, not, no, no extreme really works well. Yeah, the key, the key point there is that your body is really a set of signals about your mind. And women are reading your physical condition as signaling how much willpower does this guy have, how much narcissism, um, you know, how does he allocate his time between building himself up physically versus doing other activities versus socializing. And women automatically see the world in these very psychological terms. So your body is never just your body. It's always a clue to your underlying personality. Yeah, and it's really interesting. Again, I, like you said earlier, uh, I view this very much as a, a general personal improvement book uh, in that all the things you recommend are useful in a variety of situations. But of course, if aimed directly at this one specific category, it's gonna, it seems like it's going to work very well. And, and I like how you, you end it with create your mating plan. So for instance, for me, I know everything I'm weak at so, or I try to know. So if I were to be out there in the dating world, I would do things to, you know, let's say improve on that. Like you said, Tucker, I would, I would go to get groomed better, things like that. Right. I mean, because that's such an easy thing to do. And the upside is so huge. It's sort of like we, the, the basic idea is, uh, you said something earlier, uh, like I want to actually come back to, we don't tell guys this is all oh, so much tons of work. You can't hack this process. Of course you can. Like, like the book is designed so that you'll do the minimum amount of work possible to get the maximum effort. Right? So for example, uh, dude, it, when you, if you have crazy hair and you're dirty and you're unshaven, you're basically totally disregarded as a sexual being the moment a woman sees you. So by being well-groomed, you, she may not think you're really hot, but she hasn't excluded you. So you're at least still in the game, which is – that's a difference between zero and one. That's a, and it takes almost no effort on your part. It's very, very easy to do that. As an example. Yeah, we, we get a lot of emails from guys who say, I've listened to Mating Grounds podcast just for a few weeks and I got these great insights and it's already made a huge difference in just a very short span of time. Um, sometimes it's not even taking the actions we recommend. Sometimes it's the mindset and the insights and just the way of thinking about women that makes all the difference immediately. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. It was, it was interesting. And I, of course, I've, I talked about all these things as I was reading it with, with my wife. And she was like, yep, yep, they're dead on. They're dead on. So, so at least we have one uh, example where – you, you know what's funny, uh, James, is that almost every woman who's read this book has been like this is – the women are more excited about it than some of the guys. Uh, I think it's because like finally a book has clearly articulated – what women have had problems articulating the guys, 
And I think for the most part, at least one woman even said this to me. She's like, God, I hope guys read this book because like they're going to get so much better because they're so lame, right? So many guys are so lame right now and they don't need to be, they don't have to be like that. You know, it's funny because we were, you and I were on the phone the other day and we were joking around and I said, oh, I read your book. I'm going to get totally like ripped now and blah, blah, blah. And you joked around and said, well, you know why? You already have the, the prize, but you right. Know, your wife's amazing. You already won, James. But, but, but the reality is it's a nonstop. Like you can't, I can't just get like fat now. <laughs> like it's a nonstop thing. Like you have yeah, to, it's always right. in the game. You're right. But it, it, it's different though. Uh, this book is, we, we, like we joke around that the sequel to this book will be called Relate because how to have a productive and happy and uh, positive relationship is not the exact same thing as how to get, how to make yourself attractive enough to get into that relationship. There is a lot of overlap, of course, but they're not the exact same thing. And so like, I, like uh, we, I don't want to make it seem like this book is what to do in a relationship, although there is plenty you will learn. That's a different book. It's interesting. I, and then we haven't decided – I might be writing the book on parenting. I, I don't know if I'm going to let you write that one first. <laughs> well, uh, so far my son is in the 80th percentile in height and uh, he rubs his poop on everything and uh, he's still not talking, even though he's a year old. So I, I don't think I'm winning any Parent of the Year awards. <laughs> well, we'll see. It's, you've, got a, you've got a long journey ahead. Well, uh, you guys, thanks so much for coming on my podcast. I don't know if this is the first interview you've done for, for the book, mate. Um, but what, what, what date does the book come out? September 15th. So September 15th is the day I'll, I'll release this. Uh, yeah. And I really think... Not only do I think it's an excellent book, but Claudia, my wife, who is beautiful, thinks this is an excellent book. So I highly recommend uh, people get it. I really do wish I had this when I was 21. It would have saved me. I can't even begin to tell you how much time it would have saved me. Oh, one more thing I want to mention. Great advice on going through your exes and listing what you liked and what you didn't like in order to determine kind of a map of what you want. Like that's great advice that I never did. Yep. So I don't know if you uh, came up with that on on purpose somehow or or what, how you came up with that, but. I think that was, Jeff, that was you, right? That was a Yeah, I think we, you know, we have a whole chapter on how to choose women. Once you get attractive enough to, ha to, to interest women, you tend to have a plethora of possibilities and how do you choose among them. And I think it's important for young guys to think ahead about yeah, what do I really want? What what makes me happy? And a lot of them don't do that systematically and they don't go back through their sexual history, you know, and really think about it like, oh, you know, Susie was like that and Catherine was like that and whatever. And so we will also want to empower young guys to really own their their own preferences and um, do you think that's do you think that's hard for people though because maybe they want to find the same person and kind of you know, climb that mountain, so to speak, that they couldn't climb before. Even just being aware of these traits and proofs that matter for guys attracting women, you can also reverse the logic and be aware of the whole range of traits and proofs that women have that you need to be choosy about. And I think by being systematic about that, it can really help guys avoid some of the red flags and pitfalls that, that, and, and, women who are disastrous who will make their lives miserable.
that they would otherwise end up with. So let's say someone reads this book and they have more questions for you. How can they reach out to you and, and ask the questions? Man, we don't need any more goddamn questions. Read the book. <laughs> All right, fair enough. All right, you guys, thanks so much. Tucker Max, Niels Parker, Dr. Jeff Miller. The book is Mate. Once again, I forgot the subtitle. What's the subtitle? Become the Man Women Want. Become the Man Women Want. I highly recommend. And thanks again. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. Talk to you guys later. Bye. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com. And get yourself on the free insiders list today. En Ford creemos que ya sea que estés bajo el foco de atención o bajo tu propio techo, que tengas 90 minutos o 9 horas, que estés empezando cambios o un largo viaje, fortaleza es hacer todo, como si el mundo entero te estuviera mirando. Presentamos la nueva Ford F-150 2024. Fuerza así de inteligente solo puede ser F-150. Construida con orgullo Ford. Fuerza Ford. 